0: Did you know that you can help us produce new seasons of our podcasts and audio series? At Studio Chenta, we just launched a new series of audiobooks based on our podcasts, and they're currently for sale. There are many titles available, from romantic comedy to horror, true crime, communication and linguistics, food and lifestyle, migration stories, and much, much more. Available in Spanish, English, Italian, and French. Check out our full catalog at slash audiobooks and find the titles on apps like Libra.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobook app. Thank you so much for supporting our work.
1: Yo yo, what up? We're back, y'all. Welcome to How Not to Travel a podcast about seeing the world differently. It's been a minute since we've posted, and that's because travel has changed so, so much since this pandemic started.
0: I've had to cancel all of my trips this year.
1: Nothing, nothing but something like this would have made me ever sit my ass down and eradicate an entire year worth of trips. just come back from a world tour. From Sudan, to Austria, to Cuba, and then I ended up in Italy, where I sat in my room frustrated because everything was closed. I had no idea what was about to happen. And so, for this special COVID-19 edition of How Not to Travel, We're virtually traveling all around the world, talking to people about what it was like to receive the news of COVID-19, their country's response, and how they feel about travel moving forward. So today, we're going to travel to the three continents where COVID-19 hit the hardest, the Americas, Europe, and Asia. So come on, let's head to South Korea. Did you know that Seoul the capital of South Korea has over 2,000 nightclubs. Koreans love to party, apparently. And during COVID-19, there were 119 cases linked to nightclubs after its reopening. So we headed to Seoul to talk to Patrick Khan, a South Korean flight attendant who had something interesting to say about it.
2: So the government tracked where the patient had been, two days before the person got tested and then they announced it on the website so that people who have been to that place can be tested also actually that's one of the most effective methods that they used i think but that also caused the controversy about privacy and stuff
1: so i asked patrick to expand on how a coronavirus website method of contact tracing turned into a huge breach of privacy
2: because, um, for example, uh, one of the patients who went to a gay bar and the person didn't want to reveal his sexuality, but then, you know, they say that he went there, but then there was a person who had been there. So everyone who has been there should be tested.
1: Did you know that the K-pop band BTS were the first Korean singers to hit number one in U.S. music charts. This is huge for Asians everywhere. They also donated $1 million to the Black Lives Matter movement in the USA, raising an additional $1 million from their fans. Hashtag Koreans for Black Lives, okay? This is a Black Lives Matter household in case you didn't know.
2: So from that day, if you got tested and if you are a male, and you can be suspected as homosexual. So that also caused one of the privacy issues and actually the first mass case of South Korea was about um, the heresy. There was like um, a religious group that was not approved. I don't know if I can say it's approved but um, there was one heresy group and they tend to um, hide themselves. They don't want to reveal that they are a member of heresy. So they tried not to get tested, and that was actually one of the other privacy issues as well.
1: I personally didn't even think about the stigma attached to COVID-19 testing. But despite the LGBTQ plus population being adversely affected, Patrick says...
2: I'm like dreaming about going back to work every night.
1: Speaking of which... to Sweden to speak to a frontline medical doctor who tells us more about the gaps there. Sweden's response was unique. No lockdown and no mandatory mask policy. However, what I didn't expect to hear was how communication also played a big role on who was affected. Sofia tells me it was hard to spread the message, especially to minority groups.
3: I don't think the public information didn't reach social media as quickly as it could have and should have, And those canals were forgotten for a long time. And it's also been uh, put a lot of critique towards uh, getting information out into our other uh, minority languages and also to immigrant groups. Uh, A lot of information were in Swedish in the beginning.
1: as of september 14 sweden has a case fatality rate of 6.8 percent compared to their neighbor norway at 2.2 percent however culture and how it plays into the workforce needs to be taken into account in a world where child rearing is mostly left to women what happens in a country like sweden where 78.3 percent of women did you hear me 78.3 percent of women more than any other country in the EU are working. And where, when 30 to 46.9% of healthcare workers have children under the age of 12, shutting down daycare means taking out a significant percent of the workforce.
3: Otherwise, people are instructed to keep as much physical distance as possible and clean their hands and stay home if they're sick. And uh, they're trying to make political measures to make it easier for people to stay home if they're sick but what we can see now i think is that society is like loosening up people are not forgetting it
1: did you know that there are indigenous peoples in sweden they are called sami people and they are from an area called Sápmi in the arctic circle shutting borders have negative effects on their way of life since they are reliant on reindeer migrations and they do not acknowledge borders holla the norwegian and swedish government worked together to quickly make an exception for them If you'd like to learn more about the Sami people, we went ahead and linked a source on the website.
3: It's become part of the new normal situation and people are forgetting that we're amidst pandemic, especially now that people have been like crept up in their houses the whole cold spring and winter. And now it's summer and people want to go out and go to the beach and everything. Uh, So I think people are forgetting and just before summer holidays started, they actually uh, loosened up on travel restrictions.
1: You know who didn't loosen up on travel restrictions? Cuba. Cuba is where I live half of my year. And so shutting down travel there has been really hard for me, as well as my business. Not gonna lie, it's actually been devastating. I'm devastated. (laughs) However, can't even be mad because Cuba is doing a really good job with COVID. Did you know that there are more than 100,000 doctors in Cuba? That means nine doctors for every 1,000 citizens. That number is the highest proportion of doctors to citizens than any other country in the entire world, the whole world. In addition, Fidel Castro started a humanitarian aid program called Cuban Medical Internationalism in 1959, where Cuba sends their highly trained medical doctors to support other nations, which was free of charge, free 99, all the way up until the early 2000s. This program also accepts victims of disasters, such as the case of Chernobyl, where they accepted 18,000, 18,000 people affected in the explosion. It also accepts students from other nations and trains them to become medical doctors free of charge. Free, free, free. If they are from developing nations. During COVID-19, Cuban doctors and nurses went to 27 countries to help fight COVID-19 and were nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. How many doctors did your country send? We'll link the petition for their peace prize on our website. So I called into Havana where my business partner, Rita, reports live. From her quarantine living room.
0: From day one um, there were public service announcements and advertisements on on television um, telling people that they needed to wear masks right away, Um, teaching people how to make them um, at home and how to um, wear them properly. They even had ads focused at You know, for children, teaching them how to um, practice proper hygiene, washing hands, um, using chlorine-based hand gels, um, and, you know, removing your shoes when you come home, and and that type of thing.
1: I wish the United States had this sophisticated of a communication plan, and that's not all.
0: We all got um, drops. They were like homeopathic drops that you had to do for three days. Um, and they they originally released them for older people, for 60 and over, to boost their immune system. And they were made up of um, components of some of the SARS viruses, as well as other things. And it was really just an um, immuno booster. So it's not really a vaccine. So um, also part of the, the response um, was, there was a, an immuno booster created. It was a homeopathic remedy made up of some of the components of some of the past SARS viruses. Um, it's not a vaccine, but it was supposed to boost your immune system to be able to defend against the virus in a, in a better way and, and to recover more quickly. Um, and that was initially administered to people 60 and over, um, and then released, um, once they had enough made, they, they released it to the rest of the population. And they do feel that that was, that was beneficial to being able to recover from the virus more quickly, and with less side effects, permanent side effects.
3: Wait,
1: wait, wait. Does Cuba really manufacture their own medicine? Fact, Cuba's biopharm industry is one of the leading research and development contributors in the world. The origins, however, are not as pleasant. The United States blockade has cut off Cuba to trade and access to many items, including medication and scientific technology. So, in the 1980s, Fidel Castro, with the help of the Soviet Union, developed a sophisticated biopharmaceutical system in order to provide vaccines and medication to Cuba's own people. AKA, they said, F y'all, we'll do it ourselves. Since, they have been leading the way in many areas, such as developing the meningitis B vaccine, exporting the world's most effective hepatitis B vaccine, the first to develop a synthetic vaccine for the prevention of pneumonia and meningitis, and offers it much cheaper than pharmaceutical companies capitalism, anyone? In fact, Cuba is working on its own COVID-19 vaccine set to come out in February. In the meantime, one of the treatments used for COVID-19 is created and produced by their biopharm industry. Medical journalist Gail explains what it's about.
4: It's important to remember that the first uh, biotech company in the world was founded in 1976. It was Genentech. And in the early 80s, the first Cuban biotech company was formed. So you see, they've had a really long history. And in fact, their interferons uh, were um, developed with the help of scientists from Finland and actually from the US, um, which is, I think, something that most people may not know. Interferon, in fact, was their first biotech product. And that was many, many years ago. So interferon is used around the world, Um, Theirs is an uh, alpha-2b interferon, and they're using it in combination with a number of other drugs, antivirals, and uh, immunoregulators that are being used in other countries. Uh, So interferon is one thing. They've also started using uh, a peptide that's been developed in Cuba and and also a monoclonal antibody that is being used as part of the, the protocol.
1: So how does that medicine lockdown combo play out for the average person in Cuba? Here's Rita again.
0: When the lockdown started at the end of March, um, you were basically restricted to your neighborhood and encouraged to leave your house only to go to the supermarket to buy food or to get medical attention. And everyone really abided by this quite strictly. So most people didn't leave their homes unless they were looking for food um, or they needed to go to the doctor, their local doctor. And if you did leave your house, you had to wear a mask at all times and properly wear a mask. Um, and there were police enforcing that that rule strictly in, in the streets. There were exceptions made for essential workers, but all businesses were shut down. And they facilitated ways to where if you lived in a neighborhood where food wasn't readily available or there wasn't a supermarket, a local supermarket, they were moving um, goods to your neighborhood so that you could buy them locally instead of leaving your neighborhood. They shut down all public transportation as well. um, So they really restricted movement within the city of Havana. Wow. They
1: really put in a lot of effort to take care of their citizens
0: and several times a week you had teams of medical students visiting your house um, to check up on you and to see if anyone in your household had um, had any symptoms. So many people felt that Cuba was extreme in its response throughout the whole experience I felt that they were really they, they handled the COVID um, outbreak very well. They really limited the ability for the virus to spread and they limited the, the spread of the virus in a very um, efficient way. Um, they did a great job at tracking cases. If someone tested positive, they tested all of their contacts and they treated them from day one. So they were, they were admitted to a hospital from day one and they were not released until they tested negative.
1: So let's go over what we learned today, shall we? In this episode, we learned about the nuances of culture affecting COVID-19. In South Korea, a method of contact tracing ended up stigmatizing the LGBTQ community. In Sweden, not translating into multiple languages left marginalized groups without health information. They also chose not to go into total shutdown. Shutting down borders have negative effects on the indigenous people of Sweden, the Sami people. And shutting down their country would have led to many healthcare workers having to stay home. And finally, Cuba's COVID-19 measures prioritize vulnerable populations and has an excellent built-in medical infrastructure and biopharmacy industry that protects its citizens. So depending on where you were in the world at the time, it is clear that countries had different response systems and if your government did not prioritize marginalized groups, they often got forgotten. I mean, have you seen the United States? We're not saying one country is better than the other. but. You know where my first international flight will be. While we are not encouraging travel, do not put that on us, we are offering travel perspectives. We have no idea what the future holds, which is why next week we're going to talk about whether it's safe to travel yet. Transcripts are available on our website for the deaf and hard of hearing population as always. And for all my haters trying to fact check me, sources are linked out within the text on our website I already got you. The website is www.ochentastudios.com. Then click on the podcast icon. In addition, this season was entirely volunteer. All research, sound engineers, translators, experts, editors, and producers worked for six months free of charge to get these perspectives to your ears. The host and producer of this podcast was me, Dr. Kiona, executive producer is Loi Martinez, and this is an Ochenta podcast produced by Studio Ochenta. The sound editor on this is Luis Roel Lopez-Levi, art was done by Tiffany DeLune, and the music was done by Gabriel Damaso love travel if you learn something or believe in projects like this and would like to tip the creators and experts on this podcast sponsor studio time or sponsor a mic community donations are accepted at Venmo at how not to travel paypal how not to travel podcast at gmail.com patreon how not to travel podcast and on the patreon you can join in on the community discussions and the full interviews are up now so come through tune in subscribe hit that apple review we only accept five stars and we will see you next week See you soon.